Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. And with me today is our Marge, who has never had any love before in her life. Well, to be fair, we were gone a long time today. I know. She has a jarred life. I don't think so, but yes, welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode number 124. My name's Delton. I'm your host today. And did I say this with me is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. <laughs> yes. Because with me is today is Marge, who has never had any love in her life. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Episode 124. <laughs> this is a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, dice games, things of that sort. This and is beer. A podcast all about board games, tabletop games, role-playing games, and things of that sort. We're <laughs> just and doing beer. everything in twos. <laughs> We're tired. We are tired. We're very tired. Why are we tired today, Delty? Uh, it's 10.30 at night right now. So the reason, now that I'm done pouring this beer, that we're so tired today is today was our last out and about, uh, kicking it in the big city uh, before we go to Portland. And by kicking it in the big city, we mean we got some coffee and then we went around to some secondhand shops. We did. We stopped at Summer Moon Coffee, which is a chain out of Texas, correct? I believe so. Uh, they have a couple up here now, uh, and they have a really good uh, blueberry crisp latte. I didn't think I would like it. It's actually really tasty. We got a latte, walked through the farmer's market uh, here in Edmond, and then uh, today was our, hey, let's go search secondhand shops day. So we, st- where did we start off? At Rink? We start off at Rink, which is a former ice skating rink that has been turned into a very large consignment and vintage store. Very large, very organized and well-kept and clean and not stinky vintage shop uh, where I bought some Conan Classics comic books, not Conan the Barbarian, because I have been watching, uh, there's a wrestler at AEW named Ethan Page who does toy hunts and collects vintage toys as well as other toys. And uh, I'm kind of addicted to watching those. And I told Haley, I want to go do that. That sounds fun. And a couple weeks ago, we went to Vintage Stock, and I got this really cheesy Chuck Norris action figure from, like, I don't remember if it's the late 80s or the early 90s, uh, but it's... Oh, it's definitely, like, mid-80s. I think it was mid-80s. It was, like, pre-Walker Texas Ranger we got going on here, it, man. No, it was it was during that. No, it was pre. It was back whenever he was just muscle instead of just, like, the law. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, from either a cartoon or something of his called Combat Commandos, both spelled with Ks. No, Karate Commandos. I'm sorry. Karate Commandos. And it's the Chuck Norris figure. The card's super beat up. And the like bubble on the plastic has got a hole in it and is dented, but the figure is perfect and it was $3. So I bought that. Uh, and then I was like, you know, I want to do that. And then I finally, we went and checked out uh, a local comic shop here in town, uh, literally right down the road from us. We've never been in, finally went into it. And I was like, you know, it'd be cool to, uh, it'd be cool to like at least look at some comics. Cause I'm not a big comic fan. I've told Haley this, uh, I'm not a big traditional hero fan for the most part, but I have found out now since we went there that there are horror comics from anywhere from the early 40s up through the 70s. But the main series I'm trying to find now, I bought one from the comic shop here and it's from 1960 and it's a series called Black Magic. Uh, DC bought the series and put out like 10 issues or something in the 70s 
but the original runs from the like early to mid 50s into the 60s. And it was created by the two guys who created Captain America and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it was a G.I. Joe. Captain America. Captain America. Uh, but it was really cool older horror. And ever since then, I have discovered there's an entire world of comic horror from the 40s through the 70s. But you know what's really horrifying? What? How quickly you got into collecting these goddamn comics. <laughs> it's. I told Haley, there is an element to this that I have been missing, I think, in my life, which is going and hunting for something. Having something you want and seeing what you can find, having like a list, and just going and digging through, you know, several boxes of comic books and trying to see if you can find what you want. I mean, he already pursued, chased, and got the love of his life. So there's what really... What more do I need? There's really little else that can fulfill that high, but I understand wanting that chase. Yes, thank you. Uh, but that's what I've been doing. So I have a list of comic books that I want. Uh, I have already purchased several uh, this week that are not ones that were on my list, but I found because I did not realize how many cool older horror series and comics that there are. Uh, but it's really neat. And so we went to a bunch of comics places today or one uh, that we dug through and I got three comics from and we got, uh, I think I got like six or something from that uh, 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 rink vintage store. And I went to vintage stock and I didn't buy the six comics I wanted because I didn't want to spend $60 to get them all. Uh, but I did buy a really cheesy still in box on card action figure of Kara from the old shitty movie Dragonheart from the 90s that I loved as a kid. And I said, I just showed Haley the trailer. I thought about it for some reason. And I was like, look, I loved this movie. It's really bad. Check out this trailer. And I saw this action figure. Now I got to get the whole set. <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm on a lookout now. Apparently, I'm on a lookout for Goose. Haley's I, been buying every goose in sight. I've been buying every goose in sight. I don't know why. They've just been calling to me, honking to me. But I also dropped a cool $5 on like $180 worth of crystal today. Yeah, well, bo bohemian crystal. Between $80 and $180 worth, depending on how old it is. But it turns out the Soviet Union wasn't really great on identifying which companies were producing which crystal. They said, this is bohemian crystal sticker. Because apparently it should just be Bohemian Crystal, not made by a specific artist. So you have no idea how old it is. You have no idea when it was made. You have no idea, really, anything about it otherwise, other than it's really, really heavy, really, really pretty, and probably worth a lot more than the $5 I spent on it. Oh, definitely. The place we bought it at had a shitload of comics. A bunch of them were all 5 bucks, and they had a room where they were all 2 bucks. And the $5 comics were like the better issues. Uh, but they they sadly had essentially no key issues, like the no, no real important ones. Somebody had picked through it. They knew what they were getting. And then the, the $2 comics weren't great. But I bought three of them from the $5 comics. Haley then found the crystal, and the place basically is an estate liquidation place. So it's like people have estate sales, and they run them. Whatever's left, these people buy them at a, probably a small cost, and then they put them in their shop, and they're only open like a couple weekends a month Yeah, for like two days. Yeah, like she said, eight to five, two to three weekends a month. That's it. That's it. And so they just had all these comics and all this other stuff. Haley found a goose, the crystals. It was cool. But that's that was what we did today. And I'm really looking forward to kind of doing this more often where it's just on a weekend. I just go, I'm going to go to the comic shop and dig around. And like, you know, I need to give myself a limit where it's like I buy one or two books at most or here's a price point because I went to All Star Comics on Thursday during my lunch break and I spent 30 bucks on five comics. 
And I was like, oh, I didn't realize they made this other old horror series from the 70s. And uh, now I have a whole idea of what I'm buying and uh, kind of what they're, you know, what I'm looking at spending on them. I just like how you've always said something along the lines of at least you're not the kind of nerd who collects comics. Yeah, I have. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) At least I'm not the nerd that collects comics in the thousands. I've got like 30 maybe. Half of those I started with from my childhood. Yeah. What? To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. That's true. It's fine. But I'm trying to focus on important key things that I want and, and horror. Mostly horror. But then I told Haley, uh, I finally watched Moon Knight and I really liked it. And I kind of want to find the comics. And I want to find the editions of uh, 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 X-Men. I want to find Colossus's first appearance and stuff. Those comics are expensive as shit, though. So unless you find them at a garage sale where someone doesn't know what they've got, then I'm never going to own those. So old horror it is. It has been fun going on the hunt with him. I do. I know I make fun of him for yeah. his comic book collection, his acquisitions. But it was really fun today just going out and about, spending time with each other, taking a break to go try some beers, taking a break to get some coffee, hanging out, digging for stuff, find a $3 crystal, and just having a really good day. It was a really good day. And now we get to have our beer on the podcast before we dive into the game. Uh, so the beer for today that I've had poured forever, I did not realize my rant on my comic book, uh, my newfound love for vintage horror comic books was going to just go off the rails so quickly. Um, I mean, we were a hiking board game podcast. Now we are a comic <laughs> book board game podcast. It's because it's too hot to hike. We <laughs> looked at the temperature, 5 a.m. tomorrow. What was it? 86? Yeah. That's too hot. I'm not going to go hike at 86 degrees at 5 in the morning when it's just going to get hotter. If 86 was the high and it was only going to get cooler, That'd sure. That'd be dope. But it's not. The beer for today is from Prairie Brewing Co. I don't know if we've talked about this before. We haven't had it on the show, but we, I may have mentioned it. We talked about one exploding, I think. Maybe. This is Thai Delight Treat from Prairie Brewing Co. here in Oklahoma. It is a... Ow, I bit my tongue. Oh, I'm really tired. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> Sour, <laughs> it is a sour ale with mango, flaked rice, and coconut cream. I was going to commandeer this podcast. You probably need to at this point. It is 5.1% alcohol by volume. This beer is probably my new favorite sour. And the bad thing is about Prairie is that they put out sours, like seasonal sours or special sours. Yeah. And this is one of those. So we went and had it the week whenever Andrew was up. Yep. Hi, Andrew. Uh, Andrew and his sweetie. And then a couple weeks later, I went and took my sister in, and it was already off the tap. They weren't making it anymore. Yep. And so I went to the liquor store by our house, and I bought up every single can that they had for my Delta. That was only two four-packs. <laughs> yeah, but that was like 30 bucks. That's true. That, yeah, but it's, it's absolutely delicious. I love this beer so much. Literally, I have this glass in my hand. It looks like a melted milkshake on the bottom with a really strange foamy head on top because the foam in this... You can tell that that the the toasted rice or whatever that's in there, it's like making the head do weird things in the coconut cream. It looks like whenever you make like a root beer float and you let it sit on the table a little too long and the foamy stuff at the top starts to get hard on the glass. Yep. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it's wild. But man, you can smell it, smell the tartness. When you take a drink, you get that tart, but you get a little bit of toastiness from the rice. And a little bit of cream for the real coconut cream that's inside. And the mango, I feel like, just balances all the flavors out nicely. It's such an easy-to-drink sour, and it's so good, and I love it to death. It's legit one of my faves, but Prairie does things right. 
They always have good beers. I just really like this sour. And we're all going to have one beer this episode because we had a couple of flights earlier in the day. And despite having a podcast that's about reviewing beers, we really don't want to drink that much on a Saturday night. That's because I'm tired and I don't, I mean, I just ate a little bit ago because I hadn't eaten since like brunch time. If you want us to have more than one beer after today, then you're going to get about, I don't know, 30 minutes into this podcast and you're going to be napping with us. That's Yeah, that's pretty much it. But yes, so that's the beer. That's our day. That's our long rambly bit about everything. Let's move into the game so we can get this episode going. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for today is Spirit Island. Brian picked up Spirit Island for him and his wife to play. He brought it over one day and uh, all us three played a game. And then he left it for us because we talked about possibly doing it on the podcast. So he left it for us for just me and Haley to then be able to play at two players. Spirit Island is published by Greater Than Games. It is designed by R. Eric Royce. The artists on it are Jason Benke, Lois Berger, Lois Billyu, Kat Bermelin, and uh, it looks like 11 more. So I'm getting my uh, credits here off of the BGG page because it's not my game. I don't have it in front of me anymore. It's back in Brian's possession at his house where it belongs. Spirit Island is a cooperative game, and it's one that got really, really popular. As it stands right now on all of Board Game Geek, it's rated number 10. People absolutely adore Spirit Island, and we wanted to test that out since Brian had it and... You know, the whole reason he bought it was it's very highly rated. We wanted to try it. So the way Spirit Island plays is there's an island board in front of you. It's made up of however many pieces equal to the number of players. So one, two, three, or four. And there are there are explorers, towns, and cities that are the incoming uh, would-be colonizing peoples. You, as the players, are playing spirits on this island and you are manipulating nature and doing different things to repel these people trying to come in and colonize on your island. There are also the native people of the island, the Dahan, that are these little huts. We keep calling them mushrooms, so they look like little mushrooms, but it's these little uh, hut pieces. Uh, But the way the game is going to work is each player plays a spirit on this island, on Spirit Island, and you have a hand of cards. Now, the way the game's turns go... It's essentially everybody playing at kind of the same time for the most part. So in the beginning, everybody has to take an action off of their board. Their board, uh, you each have your own individual player boards. And at the top, it gives you a couple options that you have to take at the beginning of every round. Everyone will do pick one and do it. Then everybody will select cards they want to play, pay for those cards, reveal them. You'll do fast actions. The enemies will do all their crap. You'll do slow actions. And then you move on back to the beginning and start over again. But it's not that each player is taking their turn separately. It's essentially like you discuss it. Everyone at the table talks about it. Here's what I think I can do. What, you know, is that okay with you guys? And everybody can kind of strategize and plan. Well, if you do this, I'll be able to do this. So why don't you do this instead so I can do that? And that way we spread out more or we are able to cover more ground or remove more of the invaders. And Brian made a really good point that even though it's very cooperative and you do have that time to discuss with each other, what do you feel like you should do, what you feel like the other person should do, it's very difficult to quarterback because you have very different characters that you're playing. Yes, every single one of the spirits has its own play style, 
and their actions are different. Their main focus of the way that they play is completely different. Each one has pros and cons with it. And so it's very, very hard, not only considering that, but just considering all the possibilities of what can happen on a turn, it's near impossible to tell somebody else what they should be doing while also figuring out what you should be doing. That would take a lot of effort or have somebody that really knows this game in and out. But you're going to be taking these turns. You're going to be putting your influence in the sections on the board because it's broken up into regions like forests and wetlands and deserts and stuff. You're going to be putting your influence out. You're going to be trying to uh, keep the Dahan safe, move them around, and sometimes utilize them uh, in a way where they can fight back successfully and destroy the invaders. You're going to be just removing invaders and doing all kinds of manipulation to try and keep the board from being overwhelmed and uh, the invaders causing the land to have blight, which is basically uh, if an invader does enough damage to the land, because at a certain phase, they are going to ravage the land, and if they do enough damage to it, it gets blighted. If it gets blighted again when it already has a blight, that blight does what they call cascades. Essentially, it spreads from that piece of land. But the game, in an like all-in-all essence, that's basically it, right? You're playing a spirit, you're going to play some cards, take some actions, move pieces around on a board. Like, I'm going to put a presence here, and then I'm going to do, within one space of this presence, two damage. Hey, guess what? That destroys that town. And you pull it off the board, and it's fairly simple. Like, all in all, the, the way that you function on the board is easy. But where this game kicks it up is the sheer amount of decision-making you have. It's not a game that's easy when it comes to decision-making, because you've got your character. All of them have a special ability. They all have different abilities at the beginning of a round. They all have different number of energy, which is how you afford your cards. They have a different number of cards that can be played, which all those, those two things you can upgrade as the game goes on. They all have different innate abilities built onto the card, whether slow or fast. All of your cards have different abilities. Then there's the innate abilities that sometimes can be triggered by which cards you play. There's slow abilities. There's fast abilities. Slow happens before, or sorry, slow happens after the invaders move. Fast happens before the invaders get to move. So you're considering all these things and you're discussing with your teammates, what should we do? How should we approach this? Where do we need to go from here? How should I use my ability? If I move this here, I can bring two Dahan into me and I can push one of the invaders out of this space into that space. That way, when they ravage, they're not actually ravaging here, they're ravaging there and it's not going to ravage then. And you just have this giant spiral of decisions that it can be very overwhelming, and I can see why it makes the game something people consider a very high complexity. It's not in the actions themselves. It's in the amount of things to consider and plan out. Absolutely, and I think depending on what roles you're playing, that adds to it as well, because there are different levels of roles. So some of the roles are very intra-level, some of them are more advanced. And so you can play this over and over and over again and get better with one role, but if you each time try a new role or you're playing with different people with different roles, those different roles are definitely going to change the way that you look at and make decisions. So for example, the character that I took, it really prioritized uh, spreading out my my creatures across the land and really going into wetlands because that counted as a home base for me. Every time I put down a presence in the wetland, that wetland was automatically a home base. And so if I play that, that's going to be a very different strategy and very different decision making that I make as opposed to 
the ones that Delton chose. Yeah, I had the first time we played with Brian, I had the like Earth guy, and essentially he was defensive everywhere. So when you have a presence in a space, you can have one presence that's just a presence. Or if you put a second presence there, it now becomes a sacred site. Some of your actions and abilities must be uh, targeting a sacred site. But the stone guy or the rock earth guy, when you play him, any of your sacred sites have a natural defense of like three. So when the enemies attack, you're naturally defending three points of their attack. And so that's really helpful. The second person I played... Uh, essentially has the ability to, on a sacred site, or maybe it was any, anywhere, you could choose, no, it's a sacred site, you can choose to remove one of the top, uh, basically one of your two presences there to prevent the enemy from basically doing anything in that space. And that was really, really helpful, but it was so much more planning because I had to consider this and that and over here, and it was just a lot different of a play style where I'm trying to spread out and actually burn those presences and to be able to put them out later with my ability, it's a whole thing. But it is, it's very different. And every time you play it with new peop- uh, new spirits, you're able to change the way you play and look at the game in a different manner. I think one of the things that I found really enjoyable about this game, not only in the fact that it has a strong decision space, but the game has a uh, curvature to it in terms of... Uh, like the progression of the game that I found to be very rewarding because in the beginning it feels like all hell's broken loose and you're just going to lose way fast, right? You're struggling and scraping to keep by trying so hard to maintain and not lose. Yeah. For example, the second time Delton and I played, it was just us two. Second round, I almost said, let's just scrap it and start over because I had zero hope we were going to win. It was looking very dire in that situation, but as you play and you put presence on the board, it unlocks more energy. If you put presence on the board, it can unlock playing more cards on your turn. And so the longer you stay alive, the stronger you become until a point in the game where you realize I'm making the decisions. We are manipulating the board in a way in which we can lessen the effects of the uh, invaders and then after a little bit, you turn the, the corner where you're like, we're in control completely. We've got this figured out and we can win. And for us with Brian, we were like two turns, three turns away from losing, but we won. And then for us, I think we were like four or five turns away from losing and then we won. So it's got a nice progression where it feels impossible. But as long as you're holding on, then you're getting stronger. And then it starts to feel like you're in a true battle back and forth for positioning. And then there's just this turning point where all of a sudden you go, we've got this now, check this out. If we do this, this, that, this, this, is that, then we win in like a turn and a half. And it's a really nice progression. Now I will say out of our two plays, we won both of them. I do think there was a small amount of cheating in both of them by accident, or at least the first one, because we just didn't understand completely. Uh, the second one, I think we nailed it pretty much perfectly, but there might have been a thing or two that we missed here and there, but, you know, it happens. But we have yet to have a game of that because we've only played the twice that feels like, or not feels like, that we actually lose. And so that's a that's something that's, you know, still to be discovered is, you know, when will we lose this? How will we lose? I'm sure it will happen. You know, you can keep your perfect win record if you never play again. That's true, but... But where's the fun in that? But you said you wanted to get this game at some point. I do. I really enjoyed this game. 
I, I really appreciated the theme, you know, the theme, which is the the land and the people fighting back against the com- the not the communists the colonists uh so that's the theme the theme really drew me in and made me excited to play it whatever Brian said he picked it up yeah but it was the actual play that really makes me want to play it again I agree the play actually is very very fun uh, I will say one of the reasons that I've never really sat down to play or even picked it up uh it doesn't look that great artistically it's functioning and it looks fine. But when it's on the table and you're playing it, it doesn't have the appeal of a lot of other games. It doesn't have the overly done artwork to the point of it being just a piece of art. It It's all functional. It all works. It all makes sense. But to me, it always feels like it's just not, I don't know, it just doesn't look amazing on the table. And that's just a hang up of my own. But now that I've played it, it doesn't matter as much. Uh, it shouldn't matter at all, but it does, obviously. You know, you, you say don't read a book by its cover or don't judge a book by its cover, but that's literally how board games work. They catch you by their covers 90% of the time, right? Uh, but that's my only real complaint is it just doesn't look great. But aside from that and the cheapness of the plastic for the invaders, which uh, I can't remember who Brian said, if it was a video or a written piece. It was on BGG thread, I believe. A BGG thread. Somebody was like reviewing the game and had uh, somebody had made a comment about the plastic pieces being bad, and I guess the reviewer had commented, or somebody had commented saying, but think about it, the, like, the board is nice, right? Your pieces are these wooden pieces. The Dahan, the locals, the natives of this island, have these little wooden huts. All the invaders are just a cheap, plain white plastic. And that's kind of a thematic thing, and I thought, that does make sense, actually, and it's kind of cool. I would still like to see those upgraded, though, which I'm sure someone on Etsy has 3D printed a bunch or something. But uh, yeah, it's a really good game. We really like Spirit Island. It's very fun. Uh, we enjoyed it. I will say it's a little long on playtime. I think the box estimates an hour and a half uh, or to, uh, maybe an hour and a half to two hours. But with me, Haley and Brian, what was our game? Three and a half? Yeah. And then with me and Haley, it was two? Uh, I think it was about 240. Was it that long? Yeah, it was it was a long time. It was a while, but it's it's been long games, and I think part of that is because you're discussing with your teammates saying, what should we do? How should we do it? What about this? And it, it really does add to the time. It feels like a true cooperative because it you does. can't win just one. No. I don't think. No, not at all. It's, if you had one person trying to run everything, you'd lose. But yeah, it's a really good game. Expect long play times, but definitely if you haven't checked it out, like how we had never played it, it's definitely worth playing. I think it's a, a really good game, and I'm going to be trying to nab it from the BGG Bazaar if anybody's got it in November. Hit, hit. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for this episode, we decided to talk about action selection in games. Action-packed action selection. So action selection is, I mean, I guess it's just what it sounds like, selecting your actions. In Spirit Island, to relate this to the main game of the episode, uh, you are picking which cards to play, and those cards have actions on them. You can only play so many a turn, either to the limit of how many you can play based on your player board, or if you can only afford a certain amount, that's all you can afford, and that's all you're able to do. So that's the action selection in this game. Uh, action selection is in several different other games as well. It's a fairly popular mechanic, but it's something that I always find myself enjoying. My favorite 
version of action selection, which you can kind of consider action drafting, I've heard it as well, is in Dominant Species, where you're going to place your token on the action you want to take and what timing you want to take it. And you do that for your actions, and your opponents all do it, and then you all resolve the actions in a certain order. I always find that to be an enjoyable play style. Another one with like the complete opposite theme of this game was Puerto Rico. That has a lot of action selection. Yes, that's the one that uh, is action selection or also action drafting, I also call it sometimes. But yeah, where you're picking a thing and you're going to select the action and do it. Uh, in Puerto Rico, as well as games like Rising Sun and Race for the Galaxy and Terraforming Mars. Uh, wait, normal Terraforming Mars? No, just the other version. Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. Uh, you are picking an action, selecting that action, and then everybody else is following that action while you get the main benefit since you chose it. Uh, another, but I mean, that is a version of action selection. Another one that has it that uh, is probably closer to action drafting in a way is Rising Sun, where you draw the top three of those tiles, pick which one you want to do, and then boom, you're going to play those tiles or play that action. And I think I really like action selection myself because it seems to put constraints on what I can and cannot do, which makes me, one, think more in the moment, and two, I really have to use my decision-making powers. Because you can't do everything every turn. You can't do every action every turn. You might have unlocked all these beautiful actions, but if you don't have the energy or if the game gives you the constraints of you can only play one or choose one or two per turn, then that's really going to limit what you can do. But also it's going to push you to have to problem solve, think in the moment, and, and really make some good decisions. Exactly, it does. It, it, it does provide limitations. Now, Spirit Island even though it does provide some limitations based on how much energy you have and how many cards you can play a turn, it still has so much to consider because even if you can only play, let's say, three cards a turn, if you've got a hand of six cards, now you have a bigger decision space. And so it can still be a lot of decisions, even if those actions are still, you know, you're still choosing a limited number. It can still be, for me, difficult. Whereas a game like Rising Sun, you're looking at, three tiles and picking one and that's the action everyone's going to do. You know what I mean? Spirit Island's a much more complex version. Right, it's like the difference between having steps and having choice. Like yeah. in uh so I think the difference is so you take something like Azul where it's just a step base. We all have the same actions we do in order and there is choice. You do have to choose between which tiles that you take versus in action selection, you choose exactly what actions you're going to take. Yes, exactly. You're not choosing a, a part. It's not everybody taking Everybody gets to choose a tile, or everybody gets to move a thing. It's like, no, you're choosing, this is the actions I'm going to take on my turn. You might not take any of the same things. Am I going to, let's say, uh, Agricola, for example, am I going to uh, try to fish and get food, or am I going to try to breed a cow? Like, what am I going to do to benefit me this turn? I can't do everything. I might need food, and I might need land, I might need another family member, and I need, might need the build defense, but I can't do all of that. What's most pertinent now that I can do? And Agricola kind of provides a weird spot, because technically Agricola is not an action selection game, it's a worker placement. But where you place your worker is the technical action or benefit that you're receiving. So the question there becomes, is the action placing your worker, because that's just giving you a benefit, or is the action the, the, where you're putting it? You know what I mean? I think, I think for that one, it's most considerate the action is putting your worker down and you just receive a benefit for the spot you've taken. I think there's too many minutes past sundown for me to be able to conceptualize what you're saying. So I'm going to say, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, yeah. I'm sleepy. I know. 
But that's the thing is you can you have the action selection where everybody chooses something different. Or like I said, for Rising Sun, you know, uh, uh, Race for the Galaxy, where you can pick an action, but everyone's going to be com- doing the same thing. But at the same time, that's still an action selection because in action selection, you're choosing what actions you're doing. And in some games, you're choosing what actions everyone is doing. So it's a pretty interesting mechanic in games. I always find myself to be uh, a very big fan of it. I just think it's different enough, right? I mean, I know I've named some, we have named some big games that use it, but it's honestly not in that many games, I feel like. Like most games don't come out with some sort of action selection mechanic like that. I feel like they all still fall into the category of like, on your turn, you're going to play a card. That card gives you money of some sort. And then that's the thing. That's not action selection. Everyone's just doing that, right? So there's a lot of ways you could probably work it in or work it around or figure it, you know, figure out a way to incorporate it. But action selection is always fun. Uh, I think it just, it does. It provides a different level of gameplay for the most part. Like when everybody has the same action they're doing for, let's say, Race to the Galaxy, it's interesting because you're trying to bet on what people are going to play. You're waiting for them to play it. You know, and a lot of times in those games, just like Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, you're actually all going to be playing a card and you're taking them in a certain order. So you're trying to think of, okay, what's my opponent choosing as an action? But on the other hand, in a game like Spirit Island, you're actually discussing this out loud. What, act, like, should I take this or should I take this? And I guess really you're not discussing exactly what your cards do but you can just say on my turn i can do this and this if that sounds good to you i'm then you know which cards you want to play based on that so there's not 100 percent open information but it still has a lot of that working out and talking about what actions to choose but it's interesting that's the only one where your opponents are influencing your action selection not because of what you think they're going to play but because you know what they want to do it's kind of a weird one but it's similar to Race for the Galaxy type thing, but different. Is this the only cooperative action selection we have? I think in terms of our collection, I'm going to say yes. Because most of our cooperative games are, you know, the very they're pa- pandemic or ghost stories or troubled life of Billy Kerr. Uh, anything like that is just kind of more of a standard, I would say, cooperative. This is the first cooperative that kind of breaks the mold of what the cooperatives have been. So I would say this is definitely our first action selection-based cooperative, uh, but also just the first cooperative that really does things the way that it does. It's different than all the rest of them. But action selection's fun. It's a fun uh, mechanic. It's something that I enjoy a lot, and I recommend if you have not played an action selection game, uh, you can either check out Terraforming Mars Ares Expansion, you can do Race for the Galaxy, you can do Roll for the Galaxy, Rising Sun if you know someone that hasn't and is willing to play it with you, you can do Spirit Island, of course, or you can do my fave, Dominant Species, or Dominant Species Marine, which I still haven't got to play yet, even though I own it. With that being said, let's move to the questions so we can wrap up this episode. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games Podcast special, by size question. So, the question for today is, if you were some sort of spirit based on elements, what element would you be? I feel like my answer's changed since this episode's gone on. Is that because you're falling asleep? Because I'm falling asleep. I want to be a rock. <laughs> you want to be a rock. I want to be a rock. Maybe even like the one that you see in Everything Everywhere All at run- Once. I just want to be a rock. I want to sit there in my little rocky business. Sure. Rocking and rolling. Taking a nap. 
Sounds great. I get it. That's fine. Take a dirt nap. I don't take a dirt nap. I'm a rock. All my naps are dirt naps. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I so I've always thought this, and you're gonna you're gonna laugh at this. Um, I've showed you the old trailer for that old, really bad show, Warriors of Virtue, with the kangaroos. Okay, I loved that as a child. Uh, I also found out they make action figures now. I kind of want to get them. Uh, oh no! I, I I loved that as a kid, and they were all based off elements, all of them. And I have always and forever loved any time it's an Earth thing. So like when I watched, uh, when I finally got to watch Avatar: Last Airbender, the actual cartoon, um. Toph, the the Earthbender, just I I love that kind of stuff. Always have, always thought it was so cool. Loved it back then. Love it now. I still think I would do Earth. So there we go. We can exist. I'll be the dirt that you can lay on top of me. That's pretty fitting for how much you try to lay on top of me on the couch. Coexist. <laughs> we can make it happen. Well, there you go. There's an easy question for the episode. There. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode 124. Want to give a big shout out. Thank you to all of our Patreon patrons. Uh, thank you so much to Allison, Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. You all rock. Uh, everybody else on our Patreon is also awesome, and you can be like all of them if you want and head over to patreon.com slash malthousegames. I thought I rock. Nah. You roll. Nah. Hey. It's because you got a round head. And, and I do promise, so we are going to be recording another podcast episode this week before we go to Portland, America. And I do promise to be a little more caffeinated and motivated at that time and not up for 15 hours before I record. So thank you for bearing with me this episode. I definitely fell asleep a couple of times while Delton was talking, yes. and that's not because he was boring. That's because yes, I am was. sleepy. <laughs> it was only during comic talk. Just kidding. Uh, that's okay. We will we'll record another episode this week. We're recording Saturday night. When you're going to wake up, I will edit this in the morning Sunday, the same day it releases. Then we'll record another episode to make sure that when we get back from Portland, we don't have to record a goddamn episode the day we get back uh, and have it like it'll already be out. So we'll do that this week. But yes, we'll be gone. Going to try to at least take some photos of games we're playing, things like that. I will see about getting maybe some little clips or some recordings here and there. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that happens. But yes, thank you again for tuning in. Make sure to follow us on all social media at Malthouse Games. You can follow me at Delton Brack, D E L T O N B R A C K. You can find Haley at S Q U I R R E L Y G E K. That is at Squirrely Geek. Make sure to send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. You can let us know anything about the episode. Uh, if there's a game you think that we should cover, a topic you want us to talk about, a question you think we should answer, a beer you want us to find, or if you have any insight on a place to get cheap old horror comics from the 50s and 60s, let me know. <laughs> or if you know of a store that carries the new gargoyle action figures, because I bought Goliath today because I wanted them, yeah. and now i got to buy all the other ones because there's like five. So if you know of a store yeah. and a coupon code, yeah. please reach out. Yeah, basically. Uh, yes, and then I think that's everything. I kind of forgot what I've already done. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes. We're going to get to the end of this. You're going to be editing tomorrow, and you're going to be like, oh, no, we left out the entire game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't, what game did we talk about? And it's like, ah, uh, we played Parcheesi today, and it was cheesy. That's right on par. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we nailed it. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Mothouse Games podcast. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Good night. Bye.